in terms of coaching, mentorship is why we've been able to accomplish as much. And through each phase of my entrepreneurial journey, I've had someone who I've sat down with once a month ever since my first company in college. I would say every few years, I've sort of transitioned to different learnings and different phases of who that is. And I think this came at a really good time with Lauren as my CEO mentor brings a new perspective, kind of shifting up that insight and that thought process is really important in my personal entrepreneurial journey. Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from SheEO venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Please sit back and be prepared to be inspired. I'm Carolyn Urena. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sisu Global. We're a medical device company for emerging markets. I'm so excited to hear all about the updates uh, on your business and introduce you to the community with our CEO podcast. So thanks for being here today. I'm also very excited to be here. It's a wonderful to be a part of the CEO community. Tell us a little bit about your business. 100 million units of blood each year are missing, which means that When clinicians across the globe, particularly in emerging markets, reach for a donor blood bag, it often isn't there. So at CSU Global, we've invented a solution where a clinician can use a patient's own blood to save them with a simple technology that can, during surgery, capture, filter, and recycle blood from internal bleeding with our patented product, Hemofuse. Unbelievable. (laughs) So how how did you come up with this? Tell us a little bit about the journey. The company that we've built came from actually, and our flagship product came from our CTO and my co-founder, Jillian. So she was inspired by hospitals and emerging markets of what happens when donor blood runs out. Because technology isn't made for emerging market, clinicians will sometimes use innovative techniques to salvage blood, filter it, give it back to the same patient using kind of scooping the blood out and without proper technology to do so. Not because there's no money there, but because Currently, our medical devices are made for U.S. European markets. We decided to build a company around designing with and for emerging markets, a device that uses the most recent manufacturing, kind of innovative techniques, a patented product that can really expand the concept and use of autotransfusion globally. I'm just imagining. So you said 100 million units are missing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how this works? Like how do we use our own blood to heal ourselves? I find that's really fascinating. The concept of of your own blood is better than someone else's is is pretty much common sense for the most part. And when you've had uh, some sort of trauma or accident and that blood has, you're bleeding and it's pooling internally, it's still good blood. It's just not transporting oxygen and nutrients. When you go into surgeries, often that blood is actually discarded, but there's this technique that's been around since the 1800s of capturing that blood, filtering it, and giving it back to the same patient. We've seen a resurgence in recent years. Universities like Johns Hopkins University have done studies to show that your own blood is better if you can capture that blood and give it back. But really, in terms of changing the status quo, it's not a widespread adoption and use. And so that's what we're looking to do with CSU and Hemofuse is bring that concept bring it globally and not just use the large $30,000 electromechanical devices that are really great for specialized surgeries, say like a cardiac surgery, but distill that concept down to its basic mechanics around how can you most simply capture that blood, suction it out during surgery? How can you most simply filter it? 
so that you remove any clots or particulates, get it into a blood bag so it can be retransfused. And so that's the design around Hemafuse is our product looks a lot like a giant syringe that can suction that blood out, filter it, capture it in less than 10 minutes per blood bag in a surgery and be assembled in less than five minutes. If you're talking about a trauma case and you have that emergency where you need blood immediately, you can be able to capture that and give it back. And we've seen this be extremely successful where we've launched in kind of our uh, initial launching point or minimum viable product, as you will, in Kenya, also in Ghana, where we've seen hemophiles used in many cases, both as the preferred option over donor blood and often as the only option for donor blood for those cases where there is no, no blood available. How did you decide to go to market in Kenya? The reason we decided to go to market in Kenya is for several reasons. Tying back to the, the shortage of 100 million units of, of donor blood each year, that shortage of blood is concentrated in emerging markets. And so the need for the technology, the market size for our product is also much greater in emerging markets, even though there are needs in U.S. hospitals, U.S. military of interestingly, even to animal and veterinary applications as well. But we chose Kenya as really a leader within emerging markets and more narrowly within East Africa that could be that springboard for hemophuse and the technology to be adopted. So Kenya is a really interesting country. It is private sector driven. It is a wealth of really great distributors. And it has a, at the same time, of having really top-line hospitals that has a shortage of blood that we can solve and be that entry point. We worked with the local regulatory there. We worked with different hospitals to adopt our product. And now we've been able to grow and expand that into other markets. And so similarly, our technology actually has some roots and in invention within Ghana, which is our second market, which is we're very proud to essentially be coming home back to Ghana where the original technology began and starting to expand that in hospitals in Ghana as well. This is a global need. I mean, are you focused on emerging markets to start with and, and that's your where you're gonna be for a while or are you now that you're out in the world starting to get more interest from all over the place? How do you decide? Our expansion, it is a global need in terms of access to blood. And we chose our markets first based on market size, opportunity, regulatory barriers of where we can get our product in and, and operating safely and effectively, but in conjunction with that regulatory and kind of having those launching points. And so that choice to start there in emerging markets was very much a financial decision. We are a for-profit company. If you look comparatively in terms of markets, the emerging market, the focus is about a $3 billion market for hemophiles, where kind of a smaller market for military and an even smaller market for the veterinary side of things. We are scaling very succinctly with our kind of go-to-market is individual countries first, making sure we have our models. And then right now we're starting to move into discussions with regional distributors to scale our product. And then looking at in collaboration with some of the more global organizations that can speed through entry. And so starting in Africa, moving into other emerging markets, and also looking back in our, our backyard in the U.S. We've won awards from the U.S. military, those organizations as well, but it's sort of a, a three-tiered strategy. Okay, maybe I, I just wanted to like step back for a sec and go, like, how did you get into this? Tell us a little bit about more about your journey and who you are. I'm an engineer by training. 
Then even if you go a few steps back over my entrepreneurial journey as I grew up on a sheep farm in the middle of nowhere in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, I've lived in several countries since then. I've lived in Turkey, I speak Turkish, I've lived in India, and I've spent a fair amount of time on the continent of Africa since that CC Global Health and where we founded. So when I was in engineering school, I founded my first company as a nonprofit working with rural mobile clinics in India. I got my seed money from winning different competitions and awards like Entrepreneur of the Year at the University of Michigan and used that to launch Move to India for that company. And that's where I became disillusioned with the nonprofit model. And I also saw the opportunity to build a medical device with and for emerging markets, build a company around that concept. So looking at what is the cost, what is the infrastructure, what are the needs for emerging markets? And I saw that the large medical device companies were just taking their US European equipment, pairing off features, making it cheaper, rather than actually designing medical devices for that market. And so I reached out to my co-founder, Jillian. She had been working on a medical device design firm focused on Ghana, inventing products like Hemofuse. And I like to say we entrepreneurated on our prior companies, and we decided together to found CC Global. So you started together working on these with your different experiences. Let's just talk about the nonprofit for-profit thing. Unpack that a little bit for me. In nonprofit versus for-profit, there are certain areas and spaces where each model makes sense. For example, you never want to have a, a for-profit orphanage, for example, or in certain sectors. But when it comes to medical device in that nonprofit space, what I saw from my prior company was that the incentive structure was a bit off. Take, for example, my prior company, we were invented a centrifuge that works with or without electricity. We created a design which for a centrifuge made out of bicycle parts, which is actually a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, and that product, we were getting a lot of interest from, oh, a locally sourced materials and people can build things themselves and kind of, it got a lot of attention and awards and everything else, but actually spending time with our customers realized that there's the dignity of healthcare. You need to have medical devices that are designed for that space that go through very robust regulatory, that have a lot of R&D and testing. Those incentives in a longer term play saw that you know, the nonprofit side was looking for more small things that can be scaled up rather than taking these big leaps, building these new devices and technology where the for-profit space, you know, there's flaws in it as well, but you are actually serving your customers. Ultimately, what you're judged on is can you sell? You can only sell if your customers believe your product is more valuable and worth that amount of money that is being spent on the product and can create that cycle of technology. And there is investment structures in place. I'm very fortunate to have what we do here in the United States and also a small call out to the importance of also investing with diversity is that we can take those big swings and those big risks and big rewards to invent new products and new technologies, bring them to market and scale them, ultimately creating products that have great financial return and great impact at the same time in a sustainable, scalable way. Congratulations, by the way, on the new the award you just got, which is a patent for humanity. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? We're so excited to be named with Hemafuse as a patent for humanity. It's quite a prestigious award from the U.S. Patent Office. So 
that's bringing the showcase of our product to our uh, government legislatures and also globally to recognize the importance of our product and our patents and the importance of invention of that technology, that it is not only a great invention in that technology, but also has great impact in the humanitarian space to save lives. So with heme fuse of increasing, really being that solution to the donor blood shortage and starting to scale impact across the globe. So when you're going into a new market where they don't have anything, it's probably not as hard to sell as places where you're trying to change behavior. Is that true? That's my assumption. I don't know if that's true. I think it's an interesting question because in any market, there's always something. So there's always competition. There's always, you know, in any market, there is donor blood, right? So even if it's not there, you have the option to wait, to try and find it, to do other activities. So behavior change is an element of any new product adoption. So it's dependent on how much behavior change that we're doing. Where our product is scaling, there are typically certain hospitals that have other perhaps auto transfusion technology that's existed, maybe not scaled within the market, other techniques, like I had mentioned, to perform auto transfusion. So we've seen that the fastest adoption of our product is in locations that understand auto transfusion and maybe perform it in some way. Our biggest need or kind of becoming that standard of care happens fastest in places that struggle with access to blood. So that's really our sweet spot is hospitals that perform a lot of emergency surgeries, don't have strong access to blood, and ideally already understand autotransfusion. Of course, places that don't understand or don't have that option for autotransfusion, there is the potential for much bigger impact of our product as well, where it's not a comparison of being better, it's a comparison of performing surgery or not performing surgery, but there's pros and cons to any market that we enter into. Totally. Yeah. It's interesting. I just, I think sometimes to your point, this, like the degree to which you're asking people to change their behavior, even if it's cheaper and it's better, I'm always so surprised. Like there's nothing really rational about getting something new to market. Is there like, oh, this will be so simple. And people, the number of objections are always quite unbelievable. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to entrepreneur together with another founder? How's that going? It's really important in terms of the team of no company is generated by any single individual. And so having a partner to go through this entire process has been really important and really wonderful. We really balance each other out where I'm more an options driven person of kind of seeing the opportunities and kind of fitting these different puzzle pieces together. And she's very process driven in terms of creating systems and kind of thinking systematically in development. And that's been a really great pairing between the two of us to make sure that we can both swing for the fences in terms of our ideas, but also make sure we have this underlying processes to support our scale and development. And I'm really grateful to have such a wonderful partner in this journey. It's really one of the hardest things to find when you're like a solo founder looking for that process operational partner. Finding that mix is like gold when you do. So congratulations on finding that. That's a really big deal. Yeah. What does the world look like in five years for CISO, given all of the craziness that's going on. I know it's a kind of crazy question to ask. So of course, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, even this, this current time frame has been really interesting for hemophiles is where blood actually has become more of a challenge during COVID. Uh, blood drives are being canceled. Donors are staying home. 
and so it's increased the severity of the shortage of really where hemophilus could be a solution. In terms of the next five years, is we're, we have a, a goal that we've stated on our website and everything else as well to have $100 million in revenue and to impact at least 1 million lives with medical devices designed with and for emerging markets. So Hemafuse is just our flagship device. It's our foundation. This success drives the success of all the follow-on products. But we actually have a portfolio of five devices. We have a device from My History, a centrifuge that operates with or without electricity. We've built a database of other technologies created by whether nonprofits, university inventors, or emerging market hospital chains for technologies that we can bring into our pipeline and bring them to market, where our sweet spot is really in the design for manufacturing and bringing those products to market. And, and that is where we want to grow as our sweet spot. So Hemafuse is our focus over the next year. And that's where we'll switch into uh, building and adding in additional portfolio products to bring our technologies first to a couple of countries. Right now we are in Africa scaling into that country strategy, moving into a regional phase scale, looking into Southeast Asia in 2021 and scaling across emerging markets and eventually reverse innovation back to the United States and other markets as well to be that solution, not only to the global blood shortage, but within other value-based medical devices focused on the needs of emerging markets. So you're one of our newer ventures from the U.S. this year. It's only been a few months and it's been a few crazy months. <laughs> Just wondering what you've noticed about the community and is what is, has surprised you, what feels different? I came into CEO not knowing what to expect. I saw a fellow entrepreneur, I've actually interned at Embrace with uh, Jane Chen, and she had posted that there was this application for this CEO program, and I sort of submitted an application. I've been really impressed with the organization and the community since joining of coming into this retreat. I think there's so many ways a lot of these models have felt, looked like maybe a little odd, but going into the process and seeing the openness of the other fellow women entrepreneurs kind of through that negotiation and just willingness to help in that community since then of people reaching out to say like, hey, I heard that, you know, the stressful thing was going on. How are you doing? And those simple things of the kind of mentorship and advice, the ability to ask for help and receive that help and offer that in return is something that I think has been so impressive within the CEO community and something that I am really glad to be a part of such an intentional, thoughtful group of powerful women. Did you have a coach before? Have you ever had a coach before? So I think that in terms of coaching, mentorship is why we've been able to accomplish as much. And through each phase of my entrepreneurial journey, I've had someone who I've sat down with once a month ever since my first company in college. My first mentor who I was assigned actually through a similar program was uh, Wayne Harvey, a serial entrepreneur. I would say every few years, I've sort of transitioned to different learnings and different phases of who that is. And I think this came at a really good time with Lauren as my CEO mentor, brings a new perspective. And this was right as I'd had another mentor I've been sitting down once a month for the last three years. Uh, but I found that kind of shifting up that insight and that thought process was really important in my personal entrepreneurial journey. 
having that person or a few people around you as mentors and advisors is just such a game changer when you think that everything's going wrong. They're like, this is normal. It's fine. (laughs) This is what goes on. Especially when you're first getting started. I mean, you've been around for a bit and started a number of organizations, but this is, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. As we sort of close up here, first of all, I'm going to ask you for an ask if you have an ask for the community after this. But if you were starting over again, what advice would you give yourself? Anything different? For giving advice to myself is a really good question because there's a lot of things that I might have done different given 2020 hindsight, but there's also really important lessons that were learned through the, that process. If I were to give myself any advice, I think it would be to trust in myself, go with grit and tenacity, that it's not going to be easy, but it's the journey and kind of the end result is incredibly worthwhile. So continue to learn and grow and know that there is great potential and great impact on the other side of it. Well, on that note then, what happens when you get really down? What do you do to lift yourself up? Everything kind of ties back into uh, a successful organization and person is, is the right community. So whether it's the right team members that we have, mentors, family, and my fiance as well. So just building that support growth and network and knowing when to and how to ask for help. Yeah, that's the hard one. So on that note, yeah. <laughs> perfect yeah. segue. <laughs> exactly. At CEO, we always do this ask so we can practice this and get better and better at making audacious asks. Do you have an ask for the community? I do. I am really working on this series A. And I think some of that's really daunting in the steps of I've, I've gone through some, some raises before. And I think especially with an emerging market focus, that can be somewhat daunting to kind of make those steps and kind of move into raising that next round of financing. So really is looking out for kind of on a couple levels is one is organizations or investment firms that would be a good fit, kind of partners of raising that process, individuals who'd be willing to help review performance in different materials or help in that next step. Or I would say help with one of the things of finding the right partnerships that allow us to scale, kind of pinpoint those organizations who can grow CCU to greater heights, cycling mid back to that Series A as well. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, having the right investor for your vision is extremely important or the series of investors and being like hands off for your vision, but also maybe some influencers in there as well who can help you to make the introductions to really scale up. So anyone out there listening uh, who's intrigued and has some expertise in emerging markets around health innovation, Sisu is the person. How can we find you? A couple of different ways. My company's website is Sisu, S-I-S-U. So Sisu is a Finnish word that means persevering in the face of adversity. So sisuglobalhealth.com. And my email is my name, carolyn.urena at tcoglobalhealth.com. So Carolyn uh, with a Y and then Y-A-R-I-N-A. Awesome. We'll put that up on the meeting notes as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I wish you great success in what you're doing. We are cheering you on and really grateful for your leadership. This is a stunning, amazing innovation and we're really excited to see it scale. Thank you. And I'm very excited to be a part of the CEO community. So thank you for that, that support, and also for the entry into this wonderful community. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about CEO, please visit us at CEO.world. 
That's S-H-E-E-O dot world.